everyone. This is Emily Kalaszewski, Member Programs Manager at the League, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Today's webinar is titled, What's Happening Inside MDOT's Local Agency Program? A few notes before we get started. I will be facilitating a Q&A session with participants. So if you have questions for our presenters, please type them in the chat box. Following today's session, we will also email any links or slides referenced to all participants, and they'll also be available on our website at mml.org. And now let me formally introduce our speakers today. We have Ryan Doyle, Urban and Safety Manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation Local Agency Program. Ryan is the Urban and Safety Unit Manager for the Michigan Department of Transportation Local Agency Program. His primary duty is to administer and supervise disbursement of federal and state funding to local agencies through the safety and urban programs. This responsibility includes overseeing five staff engineers and consultants that process the local agency projects for urban and safety areas. We also have Kelly Cranell, statewide local agency construction engineer for the Michigan Department of Transportation. She holds a bachelor's of science in civil engineering from Michigan Tech University and a master's degree in business administration from Saginaw Valley State University. Kelly works to coordinate MDOT's local agency programs, oversight and federal aid compliance efforts with the department's transportation service centers who are assigned to monitor construction activities and project closeouts. Thank you both for joining us today and I'll turn it over to you to begin. Great, thank you, Emily. Again, my name is Kelly Cranell and welcome to the Local Agency Update webinar. Um, I'm going to share my screen now and we'll go through the PowerPoints. Uh, first of all, what I'd like to say is that we do have a, um, a mission statement or a vision statement within our program. It's MDOT will accept local will assist local agencies with preserving state and federal aid in a fair and consistent manner and to serve as an informational resource. We understand that the local agencies who do get federal aid don't do federal aid projects all the time. So there's questions about compliance and what the requirements are. So we wanna make sure that we're that resource there to assist you through that process. And we wanted to create this vision statement so that everybody within our organization understands that that's our role uh, to assist you, the local agencies. Uh, a couple of Kelly, things. Kelly? Yes. Before you go on, we're not seeing your screen. You might want to try to share that presentation again, but let us know. I think we have a backup on hand if we need to share it for you. Yes. I will try again. Okay. Do you have that there now? I am not seeing it. Let me see if we can pull up the presentation on our end. Give us just a moment. Yep. Just let us know when to switch the slides for you. Okay, I'm on number three. Excellent. The one before that. So, the local agency program does have a website. Uh, this is the website address. It's a quick link, uh, www.michigan.gov slash m.lap. Uh, and that has information on the program. On the next slide, you'll see the quick link to, or the shortcut that you can uh, use on the right-hand side of the screen to get to the construction website. 
there's also some information on the left side of the screen at the bottom that says sign up for email from MDOT. This is a great way for you to get updates from MDOT, the local agency program, uh, right to your email. So just wanted to share that information with you. Uh, next, I have the department updates. Uh, on the next slide, we have the MDOT spec book. Hopefully you all have heard that that has been released. We have the electronic version out there right now. And it was implemented here with the August 2021 bid letting. There is a hard copy in production. We're hoping to get that out here shortly, hopefully very soon. And we've also had some training on the spec book. On the next slide, you'll see that you can access that training through the michigan.gov slash m.lap website. There are some drop-down boxes at the on that page, and you would go into the LAP podcasts and presentations. In this menu that I show on the left-hand side of the screen comes up, and there's two webinars that are available. There's a webinar that we did on August 3rd, and there's one on August 5th. They are different. The August 3rd webinar covered divisions one, eight, and nine, and that was more of the administrative or contractual parts of the spec book. And then the August 5th webinar covers the rest of the divisions. And you'll notice that a division 10 has been added to the spec book. So that webinar explains a little bit about that and uh, definitely some good information for you to take a look at whenever on your own time. Uh, the next update that we have is with AshtoWare. On the next slide, please. Yes, AshtoWare is the replacement for Field Manager. And AshtoWare is still going through some pilot stages right now. We're getting all the transportation service centers on board within MDOT. And we anticipate that MDOT will fully transition their trunk line projects to AshtoWare by October of next year. So we've got about 13 months before we get fully converted to AshtoWare on the MDOT trunk line side. In the meantime, the local agency program, which you're involved with, is going to be doing some pilots here over the next year, probably mostly next spring during those bid lettings and moving forward. And then we anticipate a full transition to AshtoWare for LAP projects by the October 23 bid letting. So we all know it's been coming and, and here we've got some firmer dates with that transition. Um, there is also, there was some concern about uh, many of the local agencies used field manager on their own for the local LET projects that they do on their own. Everything that you do outside of MDOT without federal aid. And the Cray subcommittee, the County Road Association, had been working on a solution for that. And they're, they're working on that so that local agencies would still have access to some sort of uh, solution or 
contract management system for the projects that they do outside of the federal aid realm. The next slide, we wanted to talk about work zone safety. That's a very important uh, topic within MDOT and with any construction activities on the roadways. Uh, this slide shows that MDOT actually hosted the National Work Zone Awareness Week that was back in April. Uh, that's a big deal for MDOT. The, the slogan this year is drive safe, work safe, and save lives. We have had fatalities in the last couple of years in work zones, and that is just not acceptable. We've tried to ramp up some uh, traffic enforcement in those work zones, uh, get more driver awareness. Uh, there's a lot of speeding in the work zones. We're trying to get that controlled a little bit better and just get words out there that make people realize that these are these are other people that with daughters, brothers, sisters, wives, whatever, that are working on those roads and we need to drive by them safely and slowly so that they can do their job on the side of the road in the construction uh, zones. On the next slide, we have a video that uh, came from the governor and it's actually a very interesting video. Uh, we do have these PowerPoints available with the links uh, attached to them. If you can't get to this link by clicking on it, uh, you'll be able to just Google it for the YouTube work zone safety link. And this shows, um, it starts out with these, these characters sitting in their office and they hear a car crash. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, their office when they're construction workers is right there on the side of the road with huge trucks zooming by them at, 65, 70 miles an hour sometimes, sometimes more than that. So it's a, it's a good awareness piece. It makes you think about the safety of those workers out there in the field. Uh, next, we have some partner updates. Uh, the first one that we have is with the County Road Association. We do updates monthly pretty much with the County Road Association. And I believe that they pass those on to MML to distribute also um, with different information on what's going on uh, with MDOT and the local agency program. Uh, so if you're interested in getting those and you're not getting them right now, maybe you can contact myself or Ryan or even uh, John Lamacchia and he can make sure to, that those get passed on to you. Because I, I know in MML, sometimes uh, the email distribution might go to the mayors and the city council and stuff and not filter down to the engineering departments and the people that are actually working on the local agency program projects. Hey, Kelly, I will, Kelly, I'll, I'll jump in there just, just real quick um, okay. on that topic and mention my name. So I like a good shout out. So I appreciate that. Um, just, just so the members understand a lot of, a lot of what, what the engineering update here that CRA puts out does cross over with our membership. While we might not share the, the direct email that CRA does, a lot of what we will do, we post it through our blog on Inside 208. And so as long as you will follow that, you will get all of the pertinent information that is applicable um, within that, that engineering update that CRA does directly through that blog information. Thanks, Kelly. Great, thank you for that clarification, John. 
The next slide that we have is uh, just the Federal Highway Administration. They've been going through some restructuring changes. Um, so they have area engineers throughout the state uh, that oversee projects. And then they used to just have one local agency program person. Um, they still just have that one local agency person. He used to uh, answer questions and, and administer throughout the state, but now with their new structure, what they're doing is transferring those uh, regional local agency program questions to those area engineers that are throughout the state. So it's just a transition. You shouldn't notice any difference, but um, it's just more people that are involved with some of the oversight of the local agency program instead of just one primary contact with the FHWA. The other thing is that um, they have, they're changing some of their oversight as far as they used to do projects of develop, de, projects of interest, they were called PODIs, and now they're changing to a more risk-based oversight approach. Um, so it's only if the projects are selected, they have a selection process that the feds would be getting involved, but it's just another um, update and improvement there at Federal Highway Administration. And then with the next slide, we'll be turning it over to Ryan Doyle. Thank you. Good afternoon. Uh, first off, I just wanna say thanks again to MML for um, hosting this webinar for us and also thanks to all of you for tuning in to find out what uh, what changes are happening and get the updates from the LAP program. It seems like we always have uh, some some changes and updates to share uh, on a pretty regular basis. So it's it's great to uh, be able to have these and, and get these uh, these updates out to you. Uh, next, oh, I'm sorry, uh, this is the first slide here. So LAP staffing updates. So the first thing I wanted to do is make you aware of a couple of staffing changes that mostly affect our, our urban area on the LAP uh, development side. And we have a new urban program development engineer. That's uh, Michelle Zarucha. Um, and then we also have a new NEPA coordinator. Uh, it's Maureen Navi. Uh, they both started back in, in June for us. Um, they're working on getting up to speed now, and once they're up to speed, they will be handling the NEPA clearance for our LAP projects on the urban and safety side. Uh, Pam Blazo, who runs the safety program, also does the NEPA for the uh, safety projects, but they will be the ones covering the NEPA, and then Michelle will also be doing the financial obligating of the, of the funds part of it for us as well, so... She is working, they have been working since June, so they're getting there, unfortunately, uh, especially that project development engineer, that's, uh, it takes a long time to, to learn all the, uh, all the parts of that job. So uh, she should be getting up to speed for a while here, but uh, it is good to have those positions filled. So we're happy about that. Uh, next, I want to uh, talk about, go back to the LAP website. It, uh, uh, Kelly had mentioned earlier. And uh, right on that front page is the, I circled it here. And I know some of these slides are a little blurry and 
and hard to read, but the point is just to make sure you know where to go to get this information. Um, and it's right on the front page of our website, right at the top there, it says fiscal year 22 project planning guide. Um, uh, next slide, please. Um, that, that is a picture there uh, of what it looks like. We have a chart and uh, it's, it's pretty helpful. It helps you plan out your project development timeline so that you can get the project out to bid when you desire to have it out to bid. And it also includes an additional walkthrough that you see on the right there um, that expands on when you need to make submittals and what should be included in those submittals. It also discusses what issues you should be considering during the design of the project. So that chart, at least, I would highly suggest that you save a PDF of that, keep it on your desktop or print it out and, and push pin it to your wall. Um, you know most of the people that are involved in these LAP projects with federal funds, that's, that's what we do. It's an important, important piece of information and it kind of keeps you on track with your projects. Uh, next thing I wanted to talk about is the LAP project certification. Um, uh, next slide, please. There we are. It's, this is something new that's going to be coming on October 1st. Uh, it's a it's a project project certification form that's going to need to be completed with any final submittals on or after October 1st. What happen is the MDOT staff engineer will provide this form to the local agency. The form needs to be certified by the local agency responsible charge once any final revisions have been completed. And what this does is it replaces the, the current email system where we email the, the, the local agency and the local agency rep needs to request the advertisement of the project and then make some certifications about Buy America and ADA compliance and some other things. So this makes it, uh, makes it more formal. And, and the reason is that uh, through the annual FHWA audit, they had some areas that they were concerned about. So this addresses those issues that they had. Uh, next page uh, slide, please. So there are, these are the certifications on that new form on this slide. Um, the highlighted sections of the slide address the concerns that, it, uh, that are related to plan specifications and estimate approval. We call that PS&E approval. Uh, utility coordination and railroad coordination. Those are the areas that FHWA had concern about that we needed to address. Um, the first highlighted certification now states uh, approval of the PSNE package submitted to MDOT, that it's complete, that it's final, and that it still aligns with the NEPA form submittal or that environmental submittal that you need to make for your projects. Uh, next, you'll see the ADA and Buy America certifications that are similar to what they were before. Uh, the next highlighted section is related to railroad coordination and talks about potential conflicts that have either been addressed or arrangements have been made as noted in the bid documents. Similarly, um, number six certifies utility coordination. Similar to the railroad, it's been completed and the potential conflicts have been addressed or identified in the plans along with how those are going to be resolved. Uh, and then the certification seven and eight are new and they verify that the local agency understands their construction and administrative, administrative responsibilities related to the project and that they have staff, staff 
to the project appropriately to meet those responsibilities. So um, it, we the, the projects that FHWA have picked to look at have had um, significant utility problems and coordination. So I, I, if I can make any note here, I would say to make sure that you're doing a really good job with you, your utility coordination, because if they, if it continues to be a problem, it's, it's going to get worse for us. It's going to stretch out our timeline. It's going to be more involved and, and uh, we, we don't want to, go that direction. We'd rather stay where we're at here with the certification and just work on doing a better job on, on uh, making sure that the utility coordination is done on these projects. And then uh, on the next slide, um, at, the end of the, at the end of the forum is the local agency responsible charge. Uh, we'll certify that all the statements are true and that all the required NEPA and right-of-way documentation has been submitted to MDOT for review and approval. Uh, so the local agency responsible charge assigned there. This form has to be completed prior to the project being submitted for obligation. So you need to make sure that it gets returned back in a timely fashion so it doesn't cause any delays in obligation or in advertising the project. Also note that any changes or major spec changes or plan changes will require that this form be updated again and then placed in the project file. So that's something something new that uh, will be coming here shortly. So um, now you now you now you know and you've seen it and it won't be too much of a surprise, I hope. Uh, next slide. So back at the beginning of March, we transitioned to 100% digital. We're pretty close to it. Uh, from that point on, all of our submittals had to be electronic. The only exceptions were for cost sharing agreements and for title sheet signatures. And even with that being said, we are encouraging everybody to go digital, even with those documents as well. It just makes everything go quicker. But uh, Please remember to only use the DocuSign application for electronic signatures. Don't use Adobe or any other program for those. And if you need any help with DocuSign, there's a, a link on the on the bottom of the slide that'll tell you everything you ever wanted to know about DocuSign and e-signing for MDOT documents plus more. So check that out. Um, it'll show you how to make e-seals, um, so e-stamps for the engineers. Um, how to e-sign everything. So you can, there's a web application, so you don't even have to download the program. You can do it through a web app. So um, I think the, okay, next, next slide, please. Okay, yep. So some highlights on that, what, what, what this transition includes, just to make sure that you're uh, aware and that, uh, these are some potential areas where we're, we're still struggling a little bit. So I just wanted to point them out. Make sure you're using both e-signatures and e-seals on the program application forms. Uh, you can use the link at the bottom of the slides, like I said, to if you need any help with either of those, but make sure that everything is is uh, e-sealed, e-signed. So you can't, you can't stamp it and then scan it in and then put an e-sign on it. Everything has to be uh, e-seal or e-signature. 
Uh, second one there is make sure you're putting all your necessary files into ProjectWise. That's our, our file cabinet now. It's electronic file cabinet for all the project files. So for audited, we need to have all those files in there and preferably with the file name that's easy to recognize. So whatever that file is, please make it uh, uh, appropriate for for that file and not you know a string of numbers or something like that 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 we don't we can't recognize and we have to open it and figure out what it is and then the third one on there is if you are doing electronic title sheets uh, we are using a project signature sheet file you see that picture of it there in the lower left corner uh, we use that to e-sign and e-seal the projects we don't e-sign and e-seal the cover sheet or the title sheet themselves uh, so speaking of that on this next slide here, um, if you're using that signature sheet, then you need to do one of two things on the, uh, with the title sheet. You either need to remove the signature block completely from the title sheet, like you see in the picture here, or you can just add a note to the signature block stating that it's been signed in the project signature file. Uh, something along one of the two notes here is fine, but um we just need to need to do one or the other you can just get rid of the block altogether or or put a note in there so that people aren't just confused on why it shows lines for signatures but there's no signatures so just need to address that all right next one please okay so now i'm going to get a little technical maybe a little engineering uh, but i want to point out some of the stuff that is uh important for the engineering staff or any consultant folks that might be on the call uh regarding uh special provisions so many of the 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 frequently used special provisions that were from the 2012 spec book have been incorporated into the 2020 spec book but a lot of them that we're frequently changing, we're not. So there, there still are a lot of frequently used special provisions out there. There's some new special, frequently used special provisions. So we do have a, uh, a handout that we can we can share. We can contact Kelly or I, or maybe we can email it after the meeting if anybody's interested in it. But it does walk through the, the old ID number and the new ID number and the name. So a lot of, you know, all those, they all have numbers and they've all, changed because some of some were deleted and some were added and so you know 501j is now 501i so uh things like that so if if it would be helpful to you we can definitely definitely share that with you also if you're writing unique sps for hma or concrete acceptance or newer experiment experimental products all those sps have to be approved by MDOT and fhwa and that takes a while so especially with this new spec book now, all your 2012 unique uh, special provisions are no longer valid. You need 2020 ones, which need to be approved. So most of the most of the uh, uh, municipalities that had them, most of them now are in the process, already have some approved for HMA and concrete, uh, but we do still have a few that haven't. So if they want new ones, you need to make sure you get that process going. Also, if you had unique special provisions, um, or, or for those that aren't familiar, those are basically just specifications that go into the contract for regarding certain pay items. Um, if you have unique versions of those, you need to make sure you update them because they typically have spec book references in them and they need to be updated to the 2020 spec book. So make sure you do that as well. 
All right, next slide, please. All right, a few a few reminders. We run into a lot of issues in, in two areas that I wanted to cover, sidewalk and guardrail. So I wanted to make sure everybody's aware of where we stand on some of these things. So with, with guardrail, um, over the last couple of years, several of the, the special details have been removed on the MDOT side. This was due to a transition to type 2M terminals on, on NHS routes. Um, well, all the NHS routes still have to use these 2M terminals. It was decided that local agencies would not, would they would still be allowed to continue to use the old guardrail details, which are, we call 1B, 1T, 2B, 2T terminals on the non-NHS routes. So most of the time NHS routes are, are uh, state routes. We do some of your busiest non-state routes are also NHS routes, but for the most part, most, most local agency uh, uh, routes are gonna be non-NHS. So you still can use the old, old details and the old guardrail uh, terminals, um, but you need to make sure you have the correct details in the plans. And since those are no longer on the MDOT website, uh, at least listed for MDOT projects in their, in their special details area, we've, got, we've added them to our LAP area. So if you go to the link here and follow the, the guide there to take you right to those. So you can download those. They're in uh, 11 by 17 and also eight and a half by 11 size. And then you can just add them to your, add them to, into with your plans and, and specs. Uh, next slide, please. So a few, a few things to note with some of these changes that have been happening. Um, even with this new guardrail, detail 21s still have to use type B. These new MGS curve details are for gradually gradual curves. They aren't for sharp like curves at an intersection or driveway or something like that. So when you're doing that, how do you go from that to a MGS? Uh, so you have to do a height transition uh, from MGS to a type B and that's uh, paid for by the, in the MGS pay item. Um, and then you go to a type B um, and use the detail 21 curve uh, or uh, guardrail curve there. And that's paid for as curved type B. So uh, then you have your departing terminal type B. So uh, just be, I mean, the, the main thing to remember is that you can't use that MGS detail if you got a sharp, sharp curve with your guardrail. Um, there's also uh, multiple versions or multiple suppliers of the type 2M ending, and they're all different lengths. So if you look at our standard detail there, um, how, do you, how do you deal with that is the question. And, and what you want to do is uh, on the plans, you want to station the end of the guardrail run where it connects to the, the terminal end. You don't want to, you don't want to station out the very end of it because you don't know for sure which one they're going to pick. So some of them are, you know, 59 feet, four inches. Some of them are 50 feet, nine inches. Some of them are 55 feet. So you know, we want to leave that open to them to be able to do that. But at the same time, when you're doing your design then or doing your guardrail cal calculation, make sure that you use the, the shortest length so that regardless of which one they pick, you're, you're beyond your length of need. Um, you can specify which one you want them to use, but then you do need the sole source paperwork for that. So 
just be aware that you need to use that sole source paperwork if you're going to do that. Okay, uh, next next one. Um, remember that the MGS is required on NHS routes regardless of who owns it. And it's also required for safety projects. So if you have safety projects, that's what you're going to have to put in. Uh, so, so a common issue is the, the height transitions because MGS is 31 inches from the ground to the top of the rail. Well, well the type B is only 28. So the height transition is actually included in the MGS guard rail paratum. So if you look at the R60 detail sheet 10, you can see that. Uh, for ending replacements where you're attaching two M endings to type B rail, you need to transition prior to the ending, which is included in the two M ending. However, don't forget to account for the transition length in your removal quantities. So just a, a few reminders there. All right, next slide. Pavement marking, line width. So in order to uh, work with the auto autonomous driving systems and the big push for that, MDOT has moved to six inch permanent and temporary lane lines. Uh, what does that mean for local agencies? Well, four inch lines will continue to be allowed. Uh, the four inch pay items are still there, so you can still do that, but it is your choice. You can convert if you want to. At this time, you don't have to. Uh, if there's a, a federal mandate to go to six inch lines, then, then you'll have to at some point, but for now you can stick with four inch lines. Next one, please. Uh, yeah, real quick, I wanted to talk about, well, real quick, hopefully real quick, I want to talk about sidewalk pay item changes. This is a big deal um, because you need to upgrade your ramps anytime you're, you're, any ramps that are within a project that you're working on. And I'm sure everybody is pretty well aware now that the ramps have to be upgraded and made compliant with ADA. Um, but typically this is done incorrectly on the plans. I wanna say typically, but a lot of the times. And when you do, this is something the contractors look for, they take advantage of it. They know that if you didn't put enough quantity down for the right pay items to do the job, they're gonna put a higher price on that and a lower price on the right dealer sidewalk, which they know they're gonna be taking out or reducing the quantity of because you're gonna need a lot more of the right pay item. So just walk through a couple of things here to make sure that you're aware of this and hopefully you can avoid it. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so first of all, there is a specific curb ramp opening, or I'm sorry, the sidewalk ramp is now called curb ramp. So there really isn't a whole lot more to say about that. The, the pay, item, pay item numbers and the name are different, but just be aware that between the 2012 spec book and 2020, that, that name has changed from sidewalk ramp to, to curb ramp. Uh, next slide, please. There is a, a specific curb ramp opening pay item. This is the same as it was in the FUSP that we were previously using, but now it's been incorporated into the spec book. Uh, the pay item includes the transition to and from the adjacent curb and gutter. So you only pay separately for curb and gutter if you're replacing additional full height curb and gutter. So any that whole transition and then that opening for your curb and gutter this is, the, this is the pay item that you use for that. Uh, next slide, please. So this brings up a lot of questions about curb ramp, right? So what, what, what's the curb ramp? Uh, you know, what, what's included in the pay item? How many 
how about the rolled curb along the ramp? What about the side flares? What about the landing? Where does the pay item end? Uh, where does the regular sidewalk start? Uh, next slide, please. Well, the, the good thing is in the new spec book, it's pretty clear regarding the landings, the rolled curb, the side flo the flares, it's all included. Uh, it also lays out the limits in the pay item, which is actually the same as 2012, but there's, there's always questions about the sloped walkway between the landing and the existing sidewalk. Uh, go ahead and advance one. It should put some highlight there, you know, or some underline, I guess it is. So if you read the spec highlighted portion there, you'll see it's included until it reaches the normal continuous sidewalk grade. So that's important. Uh, so next next slide. All right, so if you're a visual learner like me, there's uh, there's some visual uh, slides here for you. You'll see the, the along the along the curb and gutter, you'll see the curb ramp opening. That's your, your curb ramp opening pay item. You'll see your detectable warning surface kind of floating up in the air. Outside of that, everything up to your existing sidewalk is paid as curb ramp. So if you really want to get into the fine details of it, you can. Uh, next slide. There's a blow up there of the transition and the ramp run definitions, which tend to have the most questions, but you can see, you can see them shown in the picture there. It says, you know, number two is ramp run there. Um, and the number one is your transition back to your existing sidewalk. It gives you the definitions. Uh, next slide. And then there's a, a detail of all the definitions. So you can really get into this as much as you want. But the important part to, to know is that that pay item really includes everything outside of your detectable warning and your curb ramp opening until you get to your regular continuous sidewalk grade there. So uh, that's typically going to be more than you would think that it is. And that's why you know, contractors are going to bid that item high because they know they're going to add quantity to that at a higher price. And then they're going to put a lower price on sidewalk because they don't know that quantity is going to go down because you're adding so much to the other one. Uh, and then we just want to make sure you're doing it right too. So, okay. Uh, next slide. Okay, a few other quick updates. Fiscal year 23 call for safety projects just had the last scoring meeting for those. So now everything needs to be compiled and uh, figured out how far the funding to go, get our award list together, uh, get it approved, and we can release it. So we're aiming probably right before or right after Labor Day to let send out the award notifications for the safety program. I uh, just wanted to give a quick update on some long lead times. So think about this when you're writing into your uh, progress schedule or progress clause on your contract. Um, Guardrail steel is taking up to eight weeks to get in. Uh, signposts are getting longer and longer now. Bridge beams and girders have always been a struggle. Those are out about 25 weeks now. Mast arms and strain poles also, same thing. And then anything ITS, cabinets, uh, detection equipment, all that stuff uh, is a big question mark. It usually takes a while to get in, but it can take a, a short while or a really long while. So. Um, just be aware of those things when you're when you're kind of laying out your 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 project schedule to pick some dates to have things done by and the problems that you might run into. Um, some of these things are things that they're not necessarily project specific. You know, when contractors when they get guardrail and signposts in, the bigger contractors anyway, they'll get those and 
big quantities. So it's, you know, they may have them, they may have them for your project or they may not. Uh, they may have to order them. You might have to wait a couple of months. So just uh, keep that in mind. Uh, next slide, please. Short range communication roadside units. We call those RSUs uh, it, it intersections and signals. Um, we are pulling those from right now from all the ongoing and future projects, MDOT is on their projects until it can be determined how we can change it to comply with FCC regarding repurposing a portion of the 5.9 band. Um, you need to look at your specs if you're putting those in your projects and make sure that they comply. Uh, if they don't, you need to change your spec or take them out of your projects until you can figure out how to do that. So same thing kind of goes for the local projects. So if you have them on a project, make sure you, you have checked into that already, or if you haven't, take a look. Uh, next thing I had was MDOT telecommuting and COVID policies. We are now allowed to go to in-person meetings again for now. Um, site visits are allowed. We're allowed to go out and look at projects now. And some staff is, is in the office. We are allowed to go back to the office now if we, if we want to. Um, that goes until September 7th, I believe. At that point, we have to have an approved, approved schedule, um, whether it's telecommuting or in the office, but we have a prepared pay period schedule um, at that point. So we are available though, is the line, is the bottom line. If you want, if you want to have an in-person meeting, we can do that. We are, you are our customers. So if you want to have uh, project meetings or, or things like that, and you want to do it in person, that you're more than welcome to, to let your staff engineer know that. If you'd rather keep it virtual, we can, we can do that. So we're, we're flexible to do whichever one you want to do. Uh, next slide, please. There's a lot of uh, updates to the real estate guidance. Uh, so I wanna make sure that, um, that you're aware they've done a major update on their webpage and, and all their guidance documents. So please check out their page if you have any right-of-way easements, consents that are needed on a project. Make sure you're following their latest requirements and regulations. You'll see, uh, Emily, if you wanna slowly go through the next couple of slides, you can see this listserv. There's a lot of stuff that they've updated here on these slides. So, yep, okay, you can stop there. Um, yeah, so so check it out, especially, like I said, if you get right away on a project. Also, they put out a design advisory on property acquisitions, just a reminder about the attachment A and attachment B and the process for getting those approved on your program application. So it's just, nothing's really changed, but it's just you know, a lot of questions came up, have been coming up. So they just wanted to put a, a clarifying document out saying, you know, this is, this is what to do. So take a, take a look at that as well. Uh, next slide. There were a lot of updates as well on the work zone safety and mobility manual. That's another place. And the work zone typicals. So, in each project, you have typicals that, that detail the different situations, whether you have lanes closed or road closed or, or whatever it is for your work zone. Um, and, and a lot of those have been updated. New ones have been added. Others have been changed. So um, just be aware of that. If you go to the website where you get those, you'll see a, uh, there's a link here, but uh, you'll see an old to new list too, where 
it might be, you know, um, shoulder closure on, you know, a, a, a two lane highway or something. And uh, to tell you the old name of it, the new name of it, similar to the, the frequently used special provision chart that I was showing you earlier. So just be aware, same thing, you know, a lot with the spec book updating, a lot of these other um, things have been updated as well. So take take some adjusting to get used to it. We're trying to make it as easy as we can. And there's a lot of helpful documents out there. I think that's my last one. We'll go to the next one. We can find out. Yep. And hand it over to Kelly. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, lots of good information on the design side. Definitely. Uh, the first thing that I'm going to talk about on the construction side is the MDOT construction manual. Um, in the front of the MDOT construction manual that's online, there's always uh, information on the recent updates and so forth. Uh, some that I specifically wanted to point out is that the local agency program section of the MDOT construction manual has been updated. Uh, that was updated, it's been uh, nearly a year now, but uh, I know a lot of people still have not uh, found their way to those updates. So it's important that you take a look at that. Again, I do have a direct link uh, that will be on the bottom of this page here, and you should be able to open those links when you have uh, the, the PDF of these PowerPoints. Uh, the responsible charge is defined. Uh, that's an important piece of federal aid because that's something that comes right from the code of federal regulations that uh, govern the program. Uh, there's also some construction engineering requirements that are listed in there uh, that, that you should be aware of so that when you're doing construction engineering or overseeing your projects um, or hiring a consultant, that you know what the expectations are uh, and to meet the federal aid requirements. And then there are also links to what we call LAP project considerations. The MDOT construction manual is written for all users of the spec book, um, but the majority of the users are internal to MDOT and they're for trunk line jobs. So sometimes when we have things like contract mods, or extensions of time, there's different approval routings because there would be a, additional signatures needed uh, because of the third party or because of the local agency involved with the project and then maybe a consultant. So these links to the LAP project considerations take you to the different sections of the construction manual that have specific instructions related to the LAP projects that you're working on. Uh, the next slide has a little bit more on the construction manual. Uh, the project closeout process had some improvements uh, added to it last year. And those details are also in the construction manual. In the uh, section that's called Division One Supplemental, you'll find these different uh, files. Basically, uh, what we've done is we've had a lot of uh, things that we've done in the construction manual or with the project closeout process that have been in our minds for years, but we finally got them on paper. 
so that you can see um, the process. If, if a file review is happening, how the file reviewers select the items that they're reviewing. Um, we talk about the interim file reviews that can happen basically if the local agency hasn't done a project in a while and wants to feel comfortable that they're performing documentation properly. Uh, we can take a look at it when you're, when you're just starting out on your project so that you have a comfort level for finishing your project uh, documentation properly. Uh, we also have what we call escalation of accountability that um, if the project isn't closed within the uh, prescribed timelines, that we just kind of check with you guys in, and have some meetings to see what's going on and how we can get the project closed um, to the expectations of everybody, including the FHWA. Uh, we have updates on the Certified Engineer Program. Uh, that used to be just available to local agencies and MDOT staff, but we have recently expanded it to open it to consultants. And then we also have uh, some definitions in there about how the letter to the file procedures work. So good information to be aware of. The next slide that we have uh, deals with fabrication inspection. Um, Fabrication inspection is something that is uh, defined in the Code of Federal Regulations. Actually, the quality assurance, which is uh, includes fabrication inspection. Uh, basically, we just can't write fabrication inspection or quality assurance out of a project. Um, and, and we're working on that to make sure that that happens. Sometimes, uh, the the methods or the uh, the process for quality assurance seems kind of extraneous, and we are working with um, a work group to take a look at that to see if it's really where it needs to be for the level in the size and the complexity of the local agency projects. Um, something that you should also be aware of is that we've got the Material Quality Assurance Procedures Manual. Um, historically, the quality assurance for fabrication inspection was housed in that manual. But last year, there was a new manual that was introduced by MDOT called the Structural Fab Quality Manual. And so you just need to be aware of that if you're going to have elements such as uh, culverts or mast arms or bridge beam elements that are going to need the fabrication inspection. Um, my next slide goes over some information about uh, materials shortages. We've been hearing during construction projects this year, there are a lot of contractors that are having difficulty uh, getting different materials for the projects. We've heard um, there's epoxy shortages. There's uh, epoxy was a big one. There's uh, delays with uh, fabrication of different elements and so forth. At this point, FHWA has not declared any national material shortage. So we're not able to extend um, 
the times on the contract. However, there is a provision that with with if they're claiming if contractors are claiming that the delays are due to COVID, uh, there may be an opportunity to extend time on a contract, but it would be non-compensable. So if you have any contractors that are inquiring about this or have issues, make sure that you're talking to your MDOT responsible charge or your designated rep that's at the TSC that's helping you with uh, the delivery or the construction of your project. They should be able to talk you through things and help you uh, interpret the specs so that you can apply things properly. My next slide goes over some information on HMA testing, the hot mix asphalt. I just wanted to bring this to your attention. Um, the 2000, this is an excerpt from the 2012 spec book, but it's the same in the 2020 spec book. And it defines uh, what top and leveling courses are. They're within the first four inches of the surface. And then a base course is in the uh, area below the top four inches from the surface. Uh, the next slide has a screenshot of the 501J uh, special provision for HMA on local agency projects. This is important because in, for the testing and the tolerances, um, there's different, they're defined by top and leveling course and then base course. And sometimes what we're seeing in the field is that uh, people are calling top course just the top layer, and then they're calling leveling and base course the same thing. Uh, so they're not comparing test results to the proper boxes in here. Uh, this can cause problems for a local agency at the end of the project, because if you're if you miss the opportunity, let's say they're out of range on the top course and you are in the leveling course and it's called the base course or whatever, if you're not um, comparing your test results to the proper box, you might pass a test that really is not a passing test according to the definitions. And that's important because the time frame to hold the contractor accountable is during the construction process or while they're out in the field. Uh, the other pages, the next couple pages of this uh, 501J, you can go ahead and flip, show you tolerance things. And then the next page has some timeframes listed. And you need to hold the contractor accountable during those processes. If, if things are found at the end of the project during the final project review, um, it causes problems because you can't hold the account the contractor accountable. Therefore, you can't do the proper pay adjustments with the contractor. And um, those pay adjustments then get passed on to the local agency. So it's you want to pay good attention to this area. Um, we can go ahead and flip through the next slide to and then the Kelly. next slide as well. Kelly, we've had a question come in, if you don't mind. Okay. Um, based on what you've just shared, does that mean that no extension of timeline will be granted if there is a long lead time on materials? 
Um, it sounds like um, our contractors are requesting non-compensable EOTs due to materials arriving post-open to traffic dates. Is that allowable? So again, talk specifically with your designated rep that's assigned to that, to your project um, at the TSC, but you, we provide what we're hearing is lead times and we, we want those um, incorporated into schedules as you're getting the project bid. We know sometimes there are issues, uh, but we don't want the contractor to always use that as a crutch and an excuse. So I, it's gonna be situational and that's why you specifically need to talk with your TSC designated rep, but we don't want um, the contractor to go in and take advantage of that situation. So uh, it, it's going to be situational and, and you need to talk right with your TSC. So hopefully that answers that question for you. <clears throat> we can go to the next slide too. So I know we're running short on time here. I'm just going to remind you about the Michigan Employment Reporting System, MERS. Um, we're anticipating an FHWA audit on this, and we've noticed that a lot of projects are not getting the proper approvals in the system. Uh, there's a circle around the area in the MERS chart here that's on the biweekly payroll period. Um, it is, either has a star or a pound sign by it. So if it's got a pound sign, it means it's not been reviewed and still or it means it has been reviewed. If it has the asterisk, it means it still needs to be reviewed. And all the payrolls should be getting reviewed uh, prior to paying for materials and in, in making the pay estimates. Uh, the next slide talks a little bit about prompt payment. And this is another FHWA focus area. Just make sure that um, all the subcontracts are submitted to the contract service division. And then that's how the MERS spreadsheets are populated with the subcontractors. And then here's just the information, make sure that uh, subcontractors have been paid before processing additional pay estimates. Um, make sure that those, you're verifying the payments in the system. And another thing with the prompt payment is we need to make sure that the contract mods are being processed in a timely manner, because uh, we don't want contractors to have to wait months and months to get paid for work that they have done. It's why we've got prompt payment provisions. Uh, the next one I have is with the progress schedule. Um, just a reminder that the contractor does not submit that progress schedule until after award. Um, so we want to make sure that no one's having any interaction with the contractor after the bid and prior to award. There should be no discussions with the contractor. Um, and then we need to let you know that there is some flexibility in the schedules that the contractors submit. Uh, there's a form that many people use, but uh, that is not a required form. Um, some contractors do their scheduling on different systems and they can submit that instead of cramming it into the format of an MDOT form. 
So we've got more flexibility in other formats are acceptable. Uh, the next one, this is second to the last, just some local outre outreach opportunities. Hopefully uh, you're aware of the LAP workshop for locals we have in the spring. Uh, typically we've done them by region in the past and last year we just did a virtual one for the entire state. Uh, we definitely are planning it again for spring of 2022, but we do not know uh, the format yet. It might be a hybrid of some virtual and some on site uh, now that we can um, we can go to work sites again. So, and then there's some of these webinars that are helpful. Uh, like I said, that 2020 spec book webinar is on the on the LAP website. And then these other ones are on the construction side of that website. Um, LTAP, the Local Technical Assistance Program, assisted us with producing these webinars. And then there's, um, there's a technical training schedule that will be coming out. Just a note about the Certified Office Tech course. In the past, MDOT had been teaching that, and they are not teaching that anymore. They are outsourcing it to a consultant. So beginning this year, there will be a charge for that class. And then uh, that will be moving forward. There, there will be a charge from here on out. So um, and with that, we wrap up for the day. Uh, I want to thank MML for giving us this opportunity. I know it's a lot of information that we've shared with you, uh, but that's why we provided the PowerPoints and then our emails as well. So Thank you so much. Excellent. Thank you so much to Kelly and Ryan for joining us today. After the webinar, we will be sure to email today's PowerPoint and links to all participants. In addition, as has been the case with our other webinars, this will be uh, posted in multiple formats for you to review or share on our website at www.mml.org. Next up in the League's event series, we've got another Live with the League scheduled for September 7th, and our convention is coming up September 22nd through 24th. We're holding that in Grand Rapids. Stay tuned for more information and other important webinar topics as we continue to provide you with timely updates and resources. Thank you all, and that concludes our session today. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.